Welcome to the People and Technology Podcast. I'm David Gazzarotto and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Jared Cameron. Hey Dave, we're back at it. Back at it here at the Contingent Workforce Conference. And uh, we've already been labelled the Hamish and Andy of HR Tech, which is... Uh, I don't know quite how to take that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we'll, we need to get them on the uh, on the podcast and ask them if we, how they feel about brewing, it. There's a campaign brewing, mate. There is. <laughs> um, although some wag on Twitter has just actually described this as the Cheech and Chong oh. of HR Tech, which <laughs> is before your time. But I think my next guest would know a bit about Cheech and Chong. I certainly from, do. Yeah. So uh, welcome Stuart Elliott from Suncorp Group. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, so uh, you've been, uh, you've just actually just come off stage from presenting at the conference. I have. And how did that go for you? It went very well. It's great. Good opportunity to, to talk about a subject that I'm uh, really passionate about. Excellent. So you're the, um, I guess you're the head of the workforce strategy and design at uh, at the bank? At Suncorp, yep. Yep. Well, interestingly enough, Suncorp's um, more than a bank. Uh, we have about 13,500 employees. Yep. And um, most people would know us. Probably they don't know that they know us, but um, we have brands like Amy, GIO, um, Vero, mm. Bingle, Just Car, Shannon's. Um, so we're actually Australia's largest um, insurer. I think I've huh. got a product of, from just about every one of those. Yep. Somewhere. <laughs> You'd be pleased to know? Well, I'm pleased to know that you've got a Shannon's product because it means you've got an expensive car. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite got the Shannon's product yet. But, uh, the but they, you, do have a, you do have an expensive car, though. It's yeah, well, we don't, don't want to tell the world that, do we? Anyway, we're not here to talk about expensive cars. We're here to talk about the journey that you've undertaken around uh, the, the contingent workforce that you've structured there at uh, Suncorp. Look, and it's, it's an interesting interesting topic, and, and I was talking to uh, Marius Dimitriou from Hayes Talent Solutions. Uh, we were talking about you know, where Suncorp got into this and mm. why we did, um, as, which essentially started with a strategic workforce planning approach, uh, which basically let Suncorp know that uh, we don't, have the right way of accessing talent um, and to some extent uh, we were, had a very old thought process going on around which was largely focused on permanent recruitment. Right. Um, our contingent workforce wasn't seen as being a strategic play mm. uh, and over the last few years what we've done is we've sort of started to see contingent workforce as a fundamental uh, platform of our strategy. Uh, it allows us to really respond to some of the things that are uh, front and foremost in our business, which is managing the response to some um, large events. And when I mean mm. events, I'm talking about floods, um, I'm talking about earthquakes, yep. uh, hailstorms, st- fires. Mm. Um, so when that happens, uh, so an example in 2014, um, when I think it was Cyclone Yasi hit um, Queensland, mm. um, within seven days we had to recruit 200 people. Yeah, right. Um, and that's the sort of thing that um, that we get to, to do uh, without a partnership uh, with a you know with a provider. Um, that's just a you know it's takes all well. Well, <laughs> you've got you've got you know one person who's the contingent manager trying to manage two hundred uh, people. It takes you a long time, and you're not sure of the quality you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that's really um, you know part of this yeah. uh, process of contingent workforce is managing the ebbs and flows of your business, especially a business that's so um, unpredictable. Mm. Um, you know, we're not talking about business cycle unpredictable. We're talking about yeah. you know, a catastrophic event. environmental yeah. and yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you? I mean, obviously, you can't predict when those sorts of things are going to happen. I mean, I live in Christchurch. We're in the yeah. we're in the shaky aisles, if you like. Yeah, all and, people live under this threat day <laughs> and day yeah, out. Do yeah, but uh, so I guess what what would be some advice that you would give to organisations that are having to prepare for those kind of situations they're going to be encountering? They're becoming more common, right? Yeah. Look, I think that 
organisations are starting to to understand that there's a proactive element to this. So, yeah. you know, the responsive element is we wait for an event to occur and then we race around trying to, to manage things. Uh, one of the things that Suncorp's done um, is to reward uh, customers who are putting in place mitigants. So whether right. that's in, you know, in terms of clearing their gutters and uh, doing things to avoid fires or whether that's uh, working with townships in Queensland to put in place levy banks mm-hmm. uh, to reduce the likelihood of catastrophic events. Preparation um, activity kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, you, you start to, to look at... So one of the things we're doing through our mobile apps is also alerting customers... Um, so a really simple one, but if you're a Suncorp um, customer with motor vehicle insurance and there's a hailstorm coming, you'll get a little ping on your mobile phone saying, get your car under cover. Yeah, there's, a hail, there's a hailstorm coming your way. Yeah. Because um, it knows where your phone is. It knows, and if you're, you're participating in that, and then... And it's better for everyone, right? Well, it's better for... Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're the insurer, so we actually don't like it when people make claims, yep. yeah. surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, 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 but they do, and... Yeah. Um, you know, if there's things we can do to help them, people don't like to make claims because it means they've had something that's disruptive yeah. to their yeah. their life as well. It's a real yeah. win-win, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of area, you know, you ask the question, you know, what do organisations need to do? They need to understand that uh, it's one of those few things, few areas where the customer and the provider actually want the same outcome. Yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah, it's a mutual benefit there, isn't there? Yeah. So it's... Um, yeah, well, t- uh, t- tell us, talk us through the, the that you know once the, um, I guess the Brisbane floods were one of the early um, uh, triggers for this as well. Um, that, that started to make um, contingent workforce more strategic for. South Look, I, I think it's um, you know, so let, let's go back um, to you know, if you like, the birth of strategic workforce planning yeah. in, in Suncorp, where yeah. we uh, we started to have a look at our understanding of um, the availability of. Of employees or availability of our workforce. Let's not think about employees because I think that mm. um, you know we're starting to think of total workforce, um, and that essentially the objective of any organisation is to have the right people come and work for you. Yeah. Uh, and you know, organisationally, tra- traditionally had a very sort of full time permanent view of workforce, um, but that was meaning that we didn't have the agility. Mm. It also meant that we were missing out on some really great people who had chosen to work mm. in a different way. Mm. Um, and I, you know, in actual fact, my story into Suncorp is one of being a um, a consultant and then a contractor, mm, yep. then a contingent worker, yeah. um, and even now I still work only part time. Right. Um, and um, it is breaking down all those things that we thought, okay, well, we need people to be permanent full time because they're mm. easier to manage. Mm. Well, there's a whole section of uh, the workforce that doesn't want to work in that way. Yep. Whether that's young people coming out of university and see themselves as entrepreneurs. Um, or whether it's people in the technology area that want to work on particular bits of technology, and they don't care who they work for, yeah. uh, but they they don't want to be a they don't want to feel as though that they they're locked into one employer. Mm. And we've got to actually deal with that, mm. um, and not see it as oh well, if you don't want to be a permanent employer, we mm. permanent employer, we we're not interested. Re- we're not interested. <laughs> I mean, mm. yeah, we'd we'd end up with a whole lot of really, really, really um, long term permanent employees, uh, which I'm not sure is the right model for any business. Yeah, for sure. So there's obviously an impact on culture too that, that, that has. So having deliberately, um, you know, having a greater proportion of contingent workers, do, does that have a you – know, what sort of an impact does it have on culture? Well, I think that um, I think that all of those things are, you know, symptomatic of uh, an increasing level of flexibility and agility um, in any workforce culture. So for us, uh, what that's done is it's really started to 
help us understand the different things that we can offer to our the rest of our workforce. Mm. So that flexibility isn't just around your contingent workforce or um, you know people that come and work for you occasionally. It's something that we can provide to everyone. Right. So yep. the way it's changed our culture is really you know ramping up our understanding of flexibility. Yeah. Um, where we can offer it now, we can. We yeah. do. Um, you know, people have much more fluid roles. Um, and, you know, so we're starting to see some real benefits flow back to us. Mm. So, you know, as an example, we talk about sort of the managing the events. Uh, we now have a, a big section of our workforce that uh, have been cross-skilled. And so that if we have, a, mm. have an event, we can move 100 people Instantly. on day one straight into outbound mm. calls looking after um, people who've been impacted by the events. That's and fantastic. then we can supplement that with a contingent workforce. Now, that's been driven... Um, by this process that we've been doing around, okay, if, you know, events management, if that's what we're into, yep. how do we work it so that we do it in a complimentary way rather than you know, it driving everything? Mm. So that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because as opposed to saying let's have a pool of you know contingent workers on the ready kind of thing, a little bit like I guess you know having a having instead of having someone that's going to be able to rush out like an ambulance, um, what you're actually saying is we've actually got that pool internally already today. So let's just have, make sure they have those skills available to do that work. That's mm. really clever, and it becomes an augmentation of yeah. that. Yep, it yeah. is, and. Um, and, and in many ways, uh, what it's done for the people is it's given them a bit more of an interesting, you know, career path because they're now mm. multi-skilled. Mm. Um, so again, it's one of those things that we we find benefits the individuals, but yeah. also makes us more agile yep. in terms of our ability to respond mm. when and if um, mm. you know these sorts of events occur. Yep. Can I just pick up on that uh, distinction between uh, someone who's a permanent employee and someone who's a contingent worker um, at Suncorn Group? What are the What's the advantage of being permanent versus a part of the contingent force? Or well, I think so, I guess. I mean, I think there's the traditional view that, you know, we provide all these sorts of benefits to, to mm. permanent employees, whether they're, you know, discount products or, um, you know, we give them certificates of service and you get long service leave mm. and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Your, um, reward, your reward, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Increasingly, I think that that's, um, that's been questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been questioned for a number of reasons. One is I think that um, to some extent if you want to keep a level of currency of, of, of skill set, mm. you need to actually have a level of turnover in your organisation. And, and so you don't want to try and create some sort of artificial incentive for people to stick around as long as they can. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, one of the things that having Hayes with us, where they sort of manage both the contingent and sort of permanent recruitment, what a hiring leader says is, this is what, is, this is what I need. Mm. They don't say, I want permanent or I want yeah. a contractor. They say, I need someone mm. who has these skills. Yep. Yeah. And then Hayes go out to the market and say, actually, there's, you know, what do the individuals who have this skill want? Mm. And if it's in the technology area, we find that quite often they want to come in on a day rate. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, that works if you can get the right person in. So mm. I think, mm. you know, we talk, I talk about sort of this porous um, boundary to our workforce where people can flow in and through mm-hmm. um, and that while they're, you know, while they're with you, you can start to look at some incentives for people to come back and work for you again. Yep. So you know, for me, it's less important whether they're permanent or, or contractor. It's around uh, creating a relationship where they yeah. feel um, that they're adding value um, and that they, it's a great place to work and they want to come back and work again mm. and they share that buzz because there's nothing, nothing beats the buzz of someone going out and saying, oh, we did some work for Suncorp, they were fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's the ultimate aim. And I guess there's also, the, I mean, the other side of the sort of business you're in, um, most permanent or any workers, contingent workers, are quite 
possibly customers or prospective customers mm. too. So the experience they have in any aspect of working with the group. Yeah, I, I think that, I, I think that's exactly right. I mm. think that um, you know, yeah, we're all. I mean, we're all customers. You know, even if we're not customers of Suncorp, we've all got banking and insurance yeah, products. Yeah, of course we have. So mm. we know what good service looks like. Yep. You know, yeah. we know we know when we're not dealing with uh, you know, and that's. Mm. And and so you know you do rely on your people to to then be advocates for your products as well. Yeah. And and whether you like it or not, people's experience when they're working with you mm. will give you an in, will give them an insight into the culture, and that culture will then permeate how they think about the products mm. as well. So if they're a good experience, they think they're good people. Yep. They actually think that when you've got a claim, they'll respond to that in a way mm. that's appropriate. Mm. It's interesting though because to try and I mean that's very you're talking culture there really aren't you? You're talking about. Um, Treating your your workforce a little bit like your customers as well, like giving them the same sort of care and respect and attention, and I just think that certainly a theme that's come through in some of the conversations we've been having today is actually it, how what is the way to go about trying to treat your workforce as one workforce, not as a silo of employees and a silo of contingent, and even within the contingent bracket, you've kind of got these subgroups yeah. that come in, don't you? You've got the the day rate worker that you described before and you've got the consultant and casuals yeah the casuals and you've got the job I mean I don't know some job share people could be classified as contingent like you've kind of got these different sort of mm. categories as well so how have you tackled like I think the cultural thing is really hard how do you get people all feeling like they're all one Suncorp you know I think you I mean change the language to start with so um, we talk about total workforce so we report on total workforce yeah. that includes you know the traditional permanence where they're full time part time job share it includes contractors, consultants, and mm. we talk, talk, talk about total workforce. Now that's a you know that's a, a bit of a journey, um, uh, but uh, you know it's a journey worth taking because actually we don't want people to feel like they're second class mm. workers. Um, we want them to feel like while they're working for us, adding value, they're, they're just as important as everyone else. Yeah, um, and and that might mean that we're actually looking at um, offering some you know discounts, product discounts to people that are working that you know might otherwise have been you know mm. so you know we don't you know we don't do performance management we don't do this so mm. you know, there's a whole lot of stuff we need to to break down in order to to create or in order to blur the lines that have existed uh, mm. and i think that's a really important part of the culture increasingly when you go around an office in suncorp you will see people there that probably work for another employer yeah <laughs> but, are, but are sitting there as part of your yeah, team right. collaborating yeah. quite well and yeah. yeah i mean have you, have you had to do any sort of reskilling of the the people leaders in your business to you know you sort of think about you're asking people leaders to act more like a project manager like we, we're very used to the project construct and the work we do it's very normal for a project team to have a little bit of a vendor a little bit of a customer a little bit of a consultant and yeah. some contractors like it's a really normal blended construct have you had to have you had to address that at all with people that are leading oh, absolutely. teams? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, many of our many of our leaders that used to traditionally lead large functions um, now you know have an element of vendor management yeah. in their role. Yeah. They're leading partners, and those partners might be um, on site. Those partners might be in Malaysia. Mm. You know, the partners mm. might be in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so increasingly, leadership is about um, you know this idea of um, you know. They're not located together. They're probably quite diverse, and they're usually dispersed. Yeah. And so we run leadership programs in dispersed and diverse workforces. Uh, we also run large partner immersion programs for leaders mm. that are going to have to move into that sort of that way of thinking. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not leading a team of people that look the same with a lot, consistent set of policies. It's around leading a pretty, you know, strange group of people to an outcome. It's almost like a, you know, pulling together a group of people to make a film. Yep. Interesting. Hey, so I read in your bio you've got kids around the same age as I do. 
sort of in that um, about ten or so years away from hitting the workforce. Do you have any concerns about what the world of work is going to be like for for your kids when they when they? Uh, oh, absolutely, enter it? absolutely. And because I work in this space, I mm. you know my concerns are heightened. So one of the really interesting bits of research at the moment um, coming out of the Future Work Institute in the UK is that kids born after the year two thousand have a better than one in two chance of living to one hundred and ten. Yeah, <laughs> a better than yeah, really. one in two chance of yeah. living to one hundred and ten. So they're actually children of the next yep. century, right? So, <laughs> so what does that mean? It means that if they were to retire at seventy, they would have to fund forty years of retirement. Mm. Now, yeah, you, know, you can't fund forty years of retirement if mm. you've only worked for fifty years. Yeah, not yeah. even Astron can help you with that. No, yeah, no, it's so, true. So, so you know what? You know what the thinking is is that you're going to have to rethink the traditional model of education, employment, retirement, uh, and we're probably our kids are probably going to have two or three careers. They're going to have to think of life as being continuous learning. Mm. They're not going to go to uni and then think that they can work for fifty years on the back of a, a, a one university degree. Yeah. Um, so how do we give our kids this understanding that learning is a lifelong pursuit mm. and that they might have three or four careers during their life? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a real, it's a real challenge. Yeah. I, and it's, a, it's actually a, a crusade that I'm asking any HR practitioner I meet right now to help us create a world of work that is going to engage and, you know, going to, going to be at the place that my kids are yeah. going to thrive in, right? Oh, look, yeah. the other thing is that what, what we know from history is that the, the jobs our kids will go into don't exist today. Yeah, yeah. they don't. That's yeah. true. Um, yeah. So being able to say to my kids, well, you should be a, you mm. know, I always stop at that point yeah. and I say, uh, you should learn how to learn and you should, you know, be really good at continuously, you know, uh, thinking about what's the next thing that you can do. Mm. Mm. So be inquisitive. Um, don't believe you know it all because it all changes. Uh, but that sort of that intellectual curiosity is is one yeah. of the hallmarks of people that are successful, no matter where they go. Yeah, and um, generationally as well. So I'm sure that same key messages were coming from our parents, our grandparents, and the like. Has it's just must, a different must context. Be a, now. Must be cyclic, right? I mean, hmm. you're 100 right. Hmm. I don't think. I mean, sure, perhaps we're in a and perhaps it's accelerating a bit. Maybe it's the problem is broader or bigger now than it was 30 or 50 years ago. But surely it's Still the same conversation that has been been had for some years, yeah. you know. Oh, I I, th- I think so too. I'm, I do think that the rate of change um, has accelerated. Mm. Yeah. Um, probably in the last ten years. I mean, you know, you just look at what the internet has done to us. You know, been, you know, people checking their phones it. during yeah, the, smartphones. You know, it, we we live our life through those things. They are yeah. our window on the world. Mm. Um, you know, my my kids mm. laugh when they see a. Um, you know, a phone that's hooked to a wall. This idea of a public phone <laughs> yeah. they find hilarious. Yeah, that's yeah. quite. You know, well, it is when you think about it. In it some is regards, when you think about it. it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so and and they can't understand. You know, you know, what did mobile phones look like when you were a kid, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there weren't any. Yeah, that's sun. right. <laughs> <laughs> they they look like a really really long cord yeah. <laughs> that I could take from the dining room into the lounge room. <laughs> yeah. And that was a mobile phone. That's yeah. as close right. as we got. Exactly. So yeah, this it's a you know, and that's and that's. I think that's created a lot of opportunities, uh, mm, but, mm. but it's also uh, creating a lot of um, questioning around how you know how work is done, where work is done. Um, as I mm. said, I work from home a couple of days a week. Mm. Yeah, um, you know, I'm as productive there as I am in the office. 
I'm not sure if that, that's saying a good thing or a bad thing. Yep. Uh, but, you know, where work is done is less important than, you yeah. know, doing what you need to do. Yeah. I know I'm more productive at outside the office, whether that's in cafes yep. or at home, than in yep. the office. I'm easily distracted and I'm the most distracting person that sets foot in our office too. So yep. um, I think that flexible world of work is, is, is a good thing for, you know, It's good for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Some people work better five days a week in the office too. And I think, look, I think the thing is that it's... It's not about prescribing one way is better than mm. any other way. It's about providing the opportunities and helping people understand where they're the most effective. Yeah. You know, I talk about this concept of flow, you know, getting into moments of flow. Yep. So flow is those moments where you know that almost time stands still. Yeah. Mm. You, know, you are so productive and you are so in the, in the moment. Um, how do you get more and more people into those moments of flow in the work that they do because they're so engaged in it, they've got the right environment, uh, I think that's the job of every leader to yeah. so get their people into moments of flow, mm. um, which is about understanding your people, having a range of opportunities, um, and being clear around what you expect of people. Well, I think unfortunately, just as we were getting into the flow here, yeah, we are. You see what I did there? <laughs> yeah, I did. I saw it. <laughs> um, our time has come to an end. We can hear the hustle and bustle as the uh, lunch break is upon us. Um, but uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, Stuart. Really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks, me. mate. Cheers. Thanks.